Welcome, everyone, to Reimagine Diversity and Equity, a podcast by the U.S. Institute of Peace. Today, I'm joined by Raymond Chang, a pastor, writer, and president of the Asian American Christian Collaborative. Ray's advocacy for justice and gun reform in response to the tragic recent mass shootings in the U.S. has gained both domestic and international recognition, and we're so happy to welcome him onto the podcast today. Welcome, Ray. Thank you for having me, Lindy. So first off, could you tell us a bit about what inspired your work with AACC? Yeah, so we're um, the Asian American Christian Collaborative, and uh, obviously, as you can tell from our name, we are Asian American and we're Christian. And uh, as we started noticing the rise in anti-Asian violence and hate, uh, we just noticed that there was a big gap in terms of those who were responding from an organized institutional type of level. And so um, I collected and uh, reached out to some friends uh, to uh, across the country to put out a statement on the rise of anti-Asian violence and hate, which people can still read on our website at AsianAmericanChristianCollaborative.com. And that garnered uh, a significant amount of traction within the first month. I think we have had over 10,000 signatures in our first month. And most of those signatures, uh, many of those signatures came from um, leaders of Christian organizations from the theological left to the theological right, and uh, in, in a variety of quote-unquote industries, uh, including uh, higher education, seminaries, um, uh, kind of coalitions, uh, organizations, educational platforms, uh, advocacy groups. And one of the things that we realized was that it was potentially a good time to start something for Asian American Christians, uh, especially to speak up in the public square and, um, you know, for years, people have been asking me to start something for Asian American Christians. And I've always kicked the can down the road uh, in part because most it, I, I have found throughout history. And I think the research suggests this as well, that a lot of people don't really care about Asian American issues uh, and, and what's challenging because of a variety of factors and reasons uh, that includes Asian American Christians. And so when we got the traction that we garnered um, it, it really was uh, uh, an indication that it was time for something to start for Asian American Christians. In both your AACC and pastoral capacities, you've talked a lot about the experiences and systemic challenges faced by racialized minorities in the United States. Could you tell us a bit more about what systemic problems still permeate U.S. institutions today? Yeah, I mean, the fact that, um, you know, race exists, that we're still categorized along lines of race, and that those categorizations uh, have uh, real, tangible, physical, material impact, whether we want to acknowledge race or not, uh, shows that there's a lot of work to do around um, addressing racism and uh, kind of racialization throughout the country and, and even in the world. Um, you know, there are economic disparities, there are educational disparities, there are disparities along health care and mental health. Um, you know, on an individual level, you know, it, it makes a big difference when a child tells another child to uh, go back to their country or that their food smells funny or looks weird or that they look weird or that their hair looks funny because it's textured or... Um, that their eyes are too small, or a variety of things. But um, as as people get older, those things kind of stick with them. Um, and and sadly, you know what we've seen, uh, and and studies 
produced this over and over and over again is that uh, people are still discriminated against, uh, uh, still discriminated along kind of racial lines. Like if their names are perceived to be uh, from a particular racial group, especially if they're black or brown, uh, that they, they're less likely to get interviews and, and job opportunities. Um, there are questions around competency and uh, views around intelligence that still are, are pervasive. Uh, and then, of course, we have uh, other issues um, that that are still plaguing us, like um, the, the the continued marginalization uh, and violence uh, towards kind of minoritized communities. You know, as we saw with um, the as we see with the continued hashtag uh, names uh, within the African American community, and and uh, especially after George Floyd, how um, the the entire world basically erupted with you know I think over sixty countries uh, hosting protests. And then with anti-Asian violence, that whenever, you know, um, Asians are easy, whenever Asians are, are, uh, are able to be scapegoated, they, they are scapegoated. And so, um, and of course, it's not just black and Asian communities. We see that with indigenous communities, Latino communities, and then, of course, um, the indigenous communities and populations as well. And so, yeah, there's there's a lot of systemic issues that that still permeate, you know, um, institutions today. And I think what's what's challenging is that, you know, it it leads to a major question of belonging, but not just belonging. It's it's uh, it's about human dignity and, and flourishing uh, questions about, you know, who is a full member of an organization, a society, you know, of, of the United States, um, whose voices matter, whose voices don't. Uh, what issues matter, what issues don't, you know, what things people speak up on and what people, uh, what things people choose not to speak up on, um, what takes priority and what issues take priority, what issues don't. And, and all those things add together to kind of create a cocktail of, uh, 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 of things that either are, uh, that, uh, of solutions that can either nourish or, um, deflate and, and even uh, kind of poison, you know, people who are in need of, uh, of care and, um, and resources. From a leadership perspective, how are you seeing some of these problems and dynamics translating into decision-making processes and policymaking from the government side, maybe decision-making from nonprofit or other sectors that you've had experience in? Yeah, this has been one of the, the major uh, things I've been wrestling with, especially because as I've been uh, kind of connecting with uh, different Senate offices and, and, and congressional offices uh, and agencies uh, within the U.S. government, and then working on the city level, like I serve on a commission with the city of Chicago and, you know, have been talking with, you know, a, a variety of uh, kind of uh, elected official uh, and their elected officials in their offices throughout the country. One of the things I, I continue to ask myself is how do we translate the needs of those whose voices are often muted, um, marginalized, put on the edges, whose voices don't often have the resources to uh, go to City Hall or to Congress and can afford to take the time off and, and, and allow them to be heard? Uh, that's the big question I've been asking myself these days. Um, you know, there's, there's some great work being done uh, through a variety of organizations, uh, but oftentimes they need to send a representative uh, and, and stuff gets lost in translation at times. 
Um, and so there, there are questions that I have around that uh, in terms of how we allow, like whose voices are heard and how those voices are heard and how much energy it takes for those who don't have ample resources to be heard versus those who have a lot of resources to be heard. I mean, you can just throw a lot of money into an issue and uh, hire a whole team to basically go around and um, and advocate for your issue or, you know, you have to mobilize and, and organize and it's not cheap. I mean, hotels in DC are not cheap. Uh, hotels in major cities aren't usually cheap. And of course, again, taking time off when you're living paycheck to paycheck for, for many people isn't easy. And so in some ways, like we just can't escape the fact that, you know, we live in a political world, but, you know, a part of politics should be to um, make sure that the voices that aren't heard are, are being heard and to move towards those voices and to uh, ensure that, you know, uh, the voices that often do get muted or silenced or uh, suppressed um, are, are, are lifted up and, and heard. So as you're grappling with these issues and how to communicate what you just said is something that's not commonly seen, how do you approach conversations when you are the one who needs to communicate to others a deficit in diversity and equity, whether that be general on a national or even international level or specific to one institution? That's a great question. Um, I think that one of the deficits of being human is that we don't oftentimes understand or empathize or even sympathize with people unless we ourselves have experienced something similar. Um, and I think that's a real def defect in the human condition and, uh, because I think that, you know, even if we haven't experienced something, we should care about the things that the, that hinder the flourishing uh, of other people, um, whether we know them or not. I mean, this is what I love about kind of the Christian faith is that, you know, there's a call to love our neighbor and to love our neighbor the way that neighbor is defined uh, according to uh, Jesus is uh, the person that really literally lives right next to you to your worst enemy. And so everyone is literally your, your neighbor, whether you know them or not. Um, and so I think one of the challenges is, and, and one of the way, the, and the most, one of the most effective ways is to kind of tell the personal story, the personal narrative. What is the impact of, of being marginalized and, um, and, and being in an environment or in conditions where there's clear inequities? Uh, I think the broader issue, though, is that, you know, if we only focus on those personal stories or the personal relationships, it doesn't always translate into uh, institutional or structural kind of conversations and an examination of the structural kind of realities. And so how do you translate that uh, in a way that can actually lead to some kind of meaningful and positive change so that everyone can, uh, can, can be valued and, and flourished and everyone's dignity can be upheld? Um, I think there's plenty of data and resources out there to, to show the general patterns that exist out uh, in kind of a variety of institutions, uh, whether they're, you know, um, governmental agencies or non-governmental agencies, whether they're for-profit or non-profit, uh, whether they're religious or non-religious. Um, you know, you kind of see similar issues emerge over and over and over again, where there are uh, dominance and subdominance uh, trends or patterns of dominance and subdominance and and how those things uh, are also shaped by um, the unique forces of 
of race and racialization, um, that those have specific manifestations uh, according to uh, how people have been categorized and, and valued according to those categories. And so I think um, as best as possible to approach things uh, in, in love and humility uh, with information and, and facts and, and, and data, but understanding that where people are committed to the status quo and, and love their organization or institution so much that they almost come to believe that their organization or institution can do no wrong or have come to this place or conclusion where they believe that the institution's um, in, uh, reputation cannot be soiled in any way because they believe that if it is soiled in any way or if the truth or if a dark truth is spoken about the institution that things can uh, unravel and that the institution will fall apart uh, to actually kind of interrogate why they believe that and what the outcome would be if things continued 5, 10, 15 years from now and the same patterns continue to emerge and those who associate with or are a part of uh, those agencies, institutions, or organizations uh, find themselves in situations where they're all talking to each other and saying, I had the same experience. Oh, yeah, you too? Okay, so this is happening to all the women at this institution or organization. This is happening to all the kind of... the the the, the racialized minorities, what is going on here, why is this pattern continuing to emerge, and what are the roadblocks to changing it, and oftentimes it's either people or policies or groups of people and a set mm -hmm. of policies, and and so there, this is why so many people have lost faith in institutions, uh, the younger generations especially have lost faith in institutions, they're very suspicious and skeptical because they have not seen institutions work for them or even be willing to work with them. And so they're doing their own thing. And at some point, our, our institutions or our organizations or agencies are going to lose a lot of credibility or a lot more credibility as, uh, as we don't address the things that uh, really matter. As you're having these conversations and taking these approaches, what are some of the responses you encounter to your perspective on the value of diversity and equity in decision making? And what creative approaches have you taken to communicate those values when perhaps receiving pushback or hesitancy? Yeah, another great question. Um, I, I think it depends on people's positions and, and, and their kind of views. When people have been minoritized or marginalized, I, I find that the more you speak up with them and sometimes even for them, uh, the more encouraged they are, especially if their voices are muffled and muted. Um, the, the more people there are within their organizations or agencies or institutions that they can kind of lean on and, and speak with and, um, and kind of uh, workshop with and, uh, and process things with, the more they find themselves able to um, Kind of find sanity and uh, and come to an understanding and find support uh, as they are wrestling with and navigating kind of the difficulties that that they're facing within their organizations. What advice do you have for those who want to communicate the need for diversity and equity beyond what you've already shared with us today, and also to start conversations that are going to catalyze substantive action? I think living in a, a world where um, where 
differences exist is the work of diversity and equity and inclusion and justice, right? And so you, if everyone was the same, everyone was on the same page, uh, there was no internal conflict, there was no external conflict, peace-building peace efforts wouldn't be needed. But more often than not, the reason that we don't know how to, that, that peace isn't achieved is because we don't know how to navigate difference and we don't know how to navigate the, a, a significant difference in values and a significant difference in power. And so I think the question for anyone who wants to move towards peace building uh, is, is to begin with bridge building and, and to move towards ways that seek to understand where people are coming from, to understand what customs, cultures, values, and um, principles people are operating with, what past pains uh, and hurts and um, injustices that uh, they might have experienced, whether directly through you or through the entities that you have, uh, that you are associated with, and then find ways to, um, to, to find common ground and then to build from there. I, I would say that people who are looking to do the hard and good and important work of peace building, which I think is desperately needed, need to thoroughly and deeply understand that their primary disposition ought to be one of humility and of love. And, and that's going to be a very different position than uh, those who believe that, you know, showing strength and, and power is the way to go. Uh, but whenever nations rose and fell, if they operated primarily out of strength and force, when they fell, those who were on the receiving end of uh, their strong arm, um, they would oftentimes celebrate because for them, those who harmed them were no longer in power. I think we live in a world where if we continue to operate that way, uh, it's only going to lead to deeper and more challenging conflicts when I think that we need to find a way to um, exist together and, uh, and create goodwill uh, without compromising the safety and, uh, and the care uh, of those we are entrusted with. Ray, thank you so much for sharing those words of wisdom and your perspective as well as bridging your experience and domestic politics and issues over to the work that we do here at USIP. Thank you so much. Thank you to Ray Chang and to all of you listening to our podcast, Reimagine Diversity and Equity. If you've missed any episodes, we invite you to visit our website, usip.org, 